When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Third down, second and fifteen to the end zone for Samuel. He makes the catch, touchdown. His second of today's game, Curtis Samuel, and the Panthers extend their lead. Okay, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. We have much to do on the show. We have hot routes coming up in a half an hour. We've got some big news today in the NFL. And we have Seth Wickersham from ESPN to break down his story about the split between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. That is coming up at 3.30. Courtney, let's start out with Cam Newton to start. Officially released because... No one would trade for Cam Newton, but someone traded a fifth-round pick for Kyle Allen because the NFL always makes lots of sense. And Courtney must have been disconnected. Okay, all right. So I set that all up. Felt like I was just about to hit it out of the park. Great question, me. Go ahead. And then she dropped off. This is one of the uh, battles we are fighting with coronavirus is trying to socially distance ourselves. So Courtney is in Chicago in front of all of her old stuff from back in the day, all of the old sports cool things that you're finding in the basement, Courtney. You should have heard how great I set up that question to you to start the show. And did we drop her again? Nope. Okay. All right. Well, I'll just she was literally start just right and there. see what happens. And I won't tweet that uh, Courtney is going to answer questions about Cam Newton. All right. So... In a very normal NFL world that is totally predictable and uh, we all know what's going to happen next, Cam Newton was released by the Carolina Panthers while Kyle Allen was traded for a fifth-round pick. All right, now we have Courtney. Your reaction to Cam Newton's release, Courtney? Whatsoever. Are you there? Can you not hear She's uh, there. Oh. Uh, nope, I can't. This I'll, is I'll disconnect. Oh, no, now I just heard you. Got it? Okay, we've got you. All right. Okay, good. Okay. I, this might be a little bit of a challenge. All right. Life is a challenge Yes, lately. it is. It is. All right, go ahead with uh, your reaction. I'm not surprised. This felt like this was their only option, right? Like, at the end of the day, he was not going to be a Carolina Panther. And for other teams to agree to the salary of where he's at right now, because he's still under contract for a year, I think that this is their only option. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, Because of his injury history, and even if he goes to his own doctor and gets a physical, teams are going to want to look at him themselves to know that he's going to be in shape 
to be able to play in the NFL still. I mean, this is a guy who has just been abused over the last few years. I mean, being a running quarterback does take its toll. Even someone like Randall Cunningham or Michael Vick, like those guys got dinged up and and they missed time because of it. And I think we'll ultimately see that with Lamar Jackson too, that if you rely a lot on running the ball, you're going to take a, a lot of hits too. And it's going to accumulate over the years. And that's what we've seen from Cam Newton. He's had a really great career. But over the last two seasons, he basically has has barely existed in the NFL. He got off to a good start, what, two years ago with throwing a lot of quicker passes and things like that to try and protect him. But even that didn't work for very long. His shoulder hurt, got hurt. And then this last year, it was what, I think the ankle that ends up keeping him out the whole season. So um, if you're another team taking the risk on trading an asset for Cam Newton, especially when you can't fly him in first, and have him in for a physical and check out what is what his actual um you know physical state is at this moment it was probably too much of a risk for for teams yeah and and it was only 9 million in dead cap for the panthers to cut him anyways i mean it wasn't like this huge financial responsibility that would have restricted them going forward but i feel like a fresh start all along is where this thing was alluding to a fresh clean break it's kind of like the trent williams situation um but you're not going to get nearly as much for cam newton if you were to trade him if you were to seek a trade and find one that you would for potentially trent williams but it does feel like that's going to inevitably lead to them just releasing him instead of i don't know even getting a fourth round pick but you know he passed his physical. So far as we know right now, he is ready to go, and he, he'll be fine for the 2020 season. But which team is going to want to invest in Cam 2.0? Because we just don't know what that brings to the table. I mean, he's on an eight-game losing streak. His body is broken down in ways that we all saw happening and we all could see was foreshadowing towards the future. So... I'm not surprised that this is the divorce and the way that it came the way that it came to be the way that it is now uh felt kind of like the only way that both parties could go and get what they wanted inevitably. All right, so who might be interested because the Cam Newton and Jameis Winston have something in common here that there are very few suitors and these are not guys who will just take backup jobs i mean they want to be starters and if you're cam newton you've made enough money in your nfl career that if no one is going to let you even compete for a starting job you can just hang it up i mean we've seen lots of players do this travis frederick of the dallas cowboys did this yesterday he retired at a pretty young age and then uh, we saw rob gronkowski do it luke keekley has done this and Cam Newton made even more money than those guys during his NFL career. I think if he doesn't get a starting job, he probably just calls it quits. But I can't at this moment find a starting job for him. Maybe what we end up seeing from Cam Newton is that he just sits out and waits. And if there's a quarterback who gets hurt in preseason or even week three of the season, somebody gets hurt on a good team and they feel like the only chance to save their season is Cam Newton, uh, this would have been the, the 2016 Vikings, for example, about how you know Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt and they just go out and trade for Sam Bradford. Well, if Cam Newton had been a free agent, then they would have signed yep. someone like him at that moment. And that, that's probably a better play for both of these quarterbacks than going somewhere and trying to be a backup. Do you think who needs more of a resurgence right now, though? 
Because to me, it's Jameis Winston. It's a very obvious answer that he has to go be a backup somewhere for a year and then have a chance to fight for a starting job to even compete for one. I mean, we know what Cam could do when he was out there two years ago at that version before he got hurt. Um, Jameis, I mean, is just coming off a season where he leads the league in passing and also throws 30 interceptions. I mean, interceptions. I mean, the situation that we're in right now, I think Jameis has a lot more to prove. And I like your idea. If you're Cam and you don't want to go be a backup somewhere, sit it out a year and see what it's going to be like. Because I think we're going to start seeing free agent quarterback markets, not necessarily to the degree of what it was this year, where you have Tom Brady leaving teams, uh, leading uh, free agency and, and being available on the open market. But there are a lot of contracts that are coming up in 2021, 22, and then obviously with the cap and where it's expected to go in 2023, it's going to get pretty intriguing. Uh, and for a guy like Cam, what does he have to lose to sit out this year, especially amid all the uncertainty that's going on in the NFL right now of a potential shortened season, things not being normal? He might. This might have honestly happened at the best time. Yeah, I, that's right. And you you make a good point with Cam where he's had a good NFL career as a high quality starter who's won a lot of football games 68 and 55 and 1 in his NFL career as a starter an MVP a trip to the Super Bowl they're not really similar in that way only in its two starting quarterbacks from last year who are looking for jobs and I think we'll have a tough time for different reasons um for Jameis Winston who wants Jameis Winston as a backup quarterback usually what you want from Jameis Winston or from a backup quarterback that Jameis Winston doesn't bring you is somebody who can be a team player who can help your starting quarterback who can run the scout team is he the type of guy to do that I don't really see it from him Um, but at no point has he ever shown that he's a good starting NFL quarterback and I mean, sometimes you see these guys have starting jobs and then just disappear really quickly, like Christian Ponder, for example, rather than being longtime backups. And I wouldn't even be shocked if that happens with Jameis Winston. I don't know if he's going to have a long, long NFL career. He he probably won't. I mean, think about it. They're guys who start out really hot and then they fizzle and fade almost just as quickly as they started. And, you know, I think that now since we're kind of in the speculatory period of will he be good for this team will he be good for that team and trying to figure out does he go the backup route because if if the Chargers are truly going with Tyrod Taylor that wouldn't be the worst option in the world would it I mean to have Jameis Winston behind a pretty porous offensive line or at least what we know it to be right now in LA I don't think that that's a bad matchup but for a bad marriage at all uh to me that's probably the only place I could see him going, at least right now, and saying, well, maybe, maybe at some point he'd be able to pass Tyrod Taylor and he would be able to take over that job, similar, I guess, in a way to what you saw in Tennessee last year where Tannehill came in week six and ended up taking the job. But either way, he's going to end up somewhere, I think, that's going to have an unstable quarterback situation to begin with. And that's going to be probably the MO throughout the rest of his career because you just can't trust him to run your offense knowing what you know about him already. And that's not to say, we talked about this the other day on national radio and we were just like kind of debating, well, what's left? Where does Andy Dalton go? Where does Cam Newton go? Where does Jameis Winston go? Let's not forget 
Jameis's off the field stuff has come into play into the conversation a lot in recent years, and no one seems yeah. to want to be talking about that right now. Now I know that we're you know supposed to figure out where he fits and everything there, but I mean this guy is not really you know the epitome of maturity, right? And I don't know if you want to bring that into a situation where you might have a young quarterback, um, you might have a young team. A, a, you know, certainly cannot picture him playing for someone like Bill Belichick. But I mean, at this point, it's going to be a rough road ahead for him. And he just hasn't done enough in the NFL for anyone to believe that he can be good at this. That because of his draft status, even in Tampa Bay, he was just given so many chances after being bad year in and year out. I mean, he goes three and ten in 2017, three and six in 2018, and then last year seven and nine. And yeah, the stats aren't terrible, but they're also not anywhere close to good. How about a guy who in this era from 2015 to 2019 has an 86 quarterback rating? Like, why? what is this? 1983? Like, I mean, there's nothing to suggest with Cam Newton outside of his uh, not Cam Newton, I'm sorry, Jameis Winston outside of his draft status to suggest that this guy is actually good at playing quarterback. And like you said, he has character concerns, so if you bring him in, he's this is a guy who just two years years ago got suspended for what four games and then the team even liked Ryan Fitzpatrick more than him and rolled with Fitzpatrick before finally bringing him back for what nine starts I mean why would anyone think this was a good idea the only people who would would be a team that was in complete disarray or complete desperation for a quarterback and even then it's a better idea to just draft whoever because you're probably getting better character even if that player isn't great so if you draft Jalen Hurts and Instead, at least you know that the guy is going to be a high-character person and probably a decent backup. But Winston isn't even someone that you could trust to be 500 if you had to throw him in there. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't see any argument for anyone to make him their quarterback. He's probably in the same situation that we described with Cam where somebody has to get desperate, somebody has to get hurt in order for you to want him. Yeah, and I mean, like, if you look at a team like Jacksonville, for example, because what, it's Gardner Minshew, that's who they're rolling with in 2020, Um, they're already a team that is in complete and utter disarray, and it really doesn't even matter what they do, but you do need to have a backup quarterback on the roster, right? Like, you know... I think they'd be able to get him for a pretty inexpensive price. They're certainly not in win-now mode. Um, Doug Marone's going to do whatever he has to do to try to save his job, but even I think he knows that the writing's on the wall, that that's a dumpster fire. But, you know, you look around the rest of the league, uh, other teams that need a backup. I mean, think about Denver. I'm just letting go of Joe Flacco. I know that Jeff Driscoll is their backup. I wouldn't. I'd rather have Jeff Driscoll than Jameis Winston. Does Definitely. that make me crazy? Definitely. Like no, behind, no. behind Drew Locke? because it just doesn't seem. You know, if they want to be competitive this year by any stretch, they need to have some insurance there. But I do not think that Jameis Winston is that insurance, just given how wildly inconsistent he is. Yeah. No, that's right. And these big passing numbers that he puts up in terms of yards are often because he's losing by so much. And it's the old uh, John Kitna thing that once upon a time, John Kitna threw for 4,000 plus yards um, 
but it was in a team that was three and thirteen or something like that for the Detroit Lions. I mean, you can do it if you are halfway talented and losing all the time. You could put up big numbers, but he has done no winning. He hasn't shown any sort of leadership. He hasn't shown an ability to even fully grasp an offense, which I think is part of the reason for all the interceptions. I don't think it's just his recklessness. I think he's often throwing it to the wrong places too. I, he is the last guy that I would want on my team. Of all the quarterbacks who are available, and like you said, I'd rather have Jeff Driscoll as my backup and know that if my starter gets hurt, we just lose a bunch of games and get a high draft pick, than I would going 7-9 and nine with Jameis Winston because there's a chance he's going to make my organization look really bad, and he's definitely not going to win anything for me. Now, there is a, a case, though, for the Los Angeles Chargers to look into Cam Newton. It does make a lot of sense because if he gets hurt again, you have Tyrod Taylor who could take over. Who's a 500 quarterback on a good team. He had a really good Buffalo team under Rex Ryan and basically was a 500 guy. And if Cam is healthy, that's a team that can legitimately compete for the number two spot in the AFC West. And with seven teams going into the playoffs, he gives you a chance if he is even remotely healthy. Yeah. And I mean, that's like, think about what you have right now in Tyrod Taylor, because we were just talking about Jameis. He's the anti Jameis. He plays it so safe. Um, yes. He won't throw the ball away. He won't turn it over. He really won't take many chances at all. Um, and so you have this very secure option. And I know that Anthony Lynn is saying that that's their quarterback right now, but they're in a really weird position. So if you bring Cam in, he doesn't need all of the bells and the whistles on this offense to be able to be successful. Now, what kind of rusher is this Cam 2.0 going to be? That's what I'm going to refer to him as because he hasn't played since 2018. That's just the reality of the situation. Like, what what kind of running game are you going to get out of your quarterback in Los Angeles if Cam Newton is the guy? I mean, do you risk injury immediately? Yeah, sure, of course. Like, the odds of Cam staying healthy for the entire season, I think at 31 years old and just knowing the wear and tear he's already had on his body are pretty low. So... They've, they're clearly the favorite of the remaining teams because think about it. Like we mentioned with Denver, if they want to be competitive and win now, they're still also like building through the draft, rebuilding that way. Pittsburgh needs a backup. I don't see it working out there. Um, no, I don't the like Rams that idea need a backup or maybe even a replacement for Jared Goff, but even still, the amount that they've invested into him leads you to believe that they're going to roll with him. Cam wants to go somewhere where he can – be a starting quarterback. Like he's not ready to throw in the towel yet and say, I'll be a backup for the rest of my career in spite of missing all this time. Like I just feel like there's you know, think about how good he was before he got hurt. That twenty eighteen season, he was excellent for a big portion of it. Reached career high numbers in passing and yards and I just I don't know if we're gonna see that version of him again, but I do think there is a much better version that has a higher ceiling than the second coming of Jameis. Oh, by far. I totally agree. And if he is sat out long enough to be healthy again, uh, then he suddenly becomes a dangerous player. And he's not 100 years old. He's going to turn 31. And even though there's a lot of mileage on that body, still, I I think he has a very good chance to take a team to the playoffs and be successful and continue to even run the way he used to run if he's had this time off for his body to heal. By the way, you mentioned 2018. Before he got hurt, I just looked up the numbers, before Mm -hmm. Cam got hurt, in terms of his passing, and then he was trying to throw 
through a shoulder injury that did not work out in the last couple of games that he did that. But the first 11 games of 2018, he had 103.7 quarterback rating, 22 touchdowns, 7 picks, and 7.5 yards per attempt, which is above his career average, and almost 70% completion percentage. These are all career bests for him. And right. pretty darn good amongst the rest of the league if you look at the passing stats for everybody else that year. Yep, exactly. So that was always a, a heavy criticism of Cam Newton is that his completion percentage wasn't that high, but they switched his offense to have a lot more short passes, and then he saw that completion percentage and quarterback rating and everything else shoot up. So he can be a passer that executes that type of offense, but I don't think he can win a lot of games without the running element. And you'd have to know how much of that was left. But if you're the chargers, what do you have to lose here? You would be bringing in a celebrity quarterback who everybody knows that would be exciting for opening your new stadium, give you a chance to compete in a very competitive AFC West and, and adding him to a roster that overall is, is really good. Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler had like 90 catches last season. They improved their offense line with Trey Turner trading him out there. That's that's the team that makes a lot of sense for Cam, but you could also see Los Angeles wanting to draft a quarterback instead, rolling with Tyrod for a year or half a year and then handing the ball over to somebody else. Uh, another question on Cam is how do you view Cam Newton's career? Like, Is he, in your mind, a Hall of Fame quarterback, somebody who was overrated, somebody who was really good for a time and really, really good for one season, but not quite that level of some of the all-time great quarterbacks. Like, how do you view Cam Newton? I, I don't know if I can. Would you put him in the Hall of Fame? I, like, I, I really struggle with that one. I don't think so. Hmm. I don't think he's done enough in his career yet. To me, if there was, I'm trying to remember the options of what you listed out for me. Someone who was really good for a period of time, and then his body failed him because. He put himself through that situation where he was taking hits and and doing it in a time when nobody else in the NFL, his position was, and he was vulnerable. Um, And he knew exactly what he was doing, and his body finally gave up. Like, I don't think we're ever going to see that version of him again. We were discussing this in August when, you know, (laughs) when you and I were getting in arguments about should they play players in preseason, star players, and clearly I lost that argument. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's just... He'll always be this big enigma to me because I, I, you know, had he been able to stay healthier more longer than, as you mentioned, the shoulder injury, I think people forgot about that. It wasn't just, you know, what killed him down the stretch of, you know, his end of his Panthers career. I mean, it was that shoulder injury that, you know, really, for lack of a better ter- ter- uh, phrase, threw things out of whack for him. Yeah. Yep. Um. So I kind of wonder, like, had he been able to stay, had he, had that not happened? Had he not taken the hits, how much longer are we seeing that version be able to play out? I, I think he's reached a ceiling on it, and he set the ceiling on it that nobody else is going to be able to to get past that. And that's you bring that convert, you bring that topic of conversation into today's NFL with Lamar Jackson. How how much longer can Lamar keep doing what he's doing? He hasn't taken the hits like Cam Newton. I'll give him that, but that's I think that that could potentially be his reality. So I'm looking at something that Pro Football Reference has a formula called Hall of Fame Monitor, and it compares 
uh, all the quarterbacks in a bunch of different areas. They have kind of a wins above replacement stat, but also other milestones and Pro Bowls and all pros and championships are kind of all thrown into this formula. So inexact science, but the way that Pro Football Reference did it, the top quarterbacks ever in terms of their cases for the Hall of Fame are Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, and John Elway. So, okay, sounds pretty legit to me. And where Cam Newton ranks on this list of all-time quarterbacks is 35th. And funny, though, according to their Hall of Fame monitor, just ahead of Troy Aikman, um, but in the same range as someone like Boomer Esiason, who was very, very good for a shorter period of time, but did not have really a great longevity. Um, and he's he is ahead of a couple of quarterbacks that I think we would consider Hall of Fame Um so maybe that case is a little stronger. And one thing that usually happens to us that's unfortunate when we look at someone's Hall of Fame case is we pull up their career stat line and we look at their passing and we go, well, you know, okay, I mean, Cam Newton's passing was only really impressive for a year or two, but let us not leave out 59 other touchdowns or 58 other touchdowns that he scored uh, twice double-digit touchdown runs. And I think if you add those in, if you made some sort of formula with quarterback rating or whatever, it would really even the playing field. And he did a lot of winning. But 68 wins is probably not enough. No championships, one trip to the Super Bowl. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't quite get you there. I think if he came back and he took a team to the AFC Championship or something, he would have a much stronger case. The guy who gets under my skin with the Hall of Fame thing is Kurt Warner. Because Warner had like a short stint to start and a short stint to end and ends up in the Hall of Fame. And there are a lot of other quarterbacks that are in his range that don't get there. So when I compare Cam Newton to Eli Manning or Kurt Warner, I'm like, well, yeah, that case becomes a lot easier to make. But I think he's still a little bit short. I would agree with you there. Do you think that he has to win another MVP in order to be yeah. in that conversation? Yep. Because to me, he and Matt Ryan are on that same level, uh, that same playing field, where you've had really good seasons. Like you mentioned, we talk about the stats that he put up in 2018, but career-wise, you have a sub-60 completion percentage and an 85.3 passer rating. It's not great. That's probably not going to get you anywhere close to the hall, but if you're looking beyond that and other accomplishments that you had... I guess you could make the argument for it, but he and he and Matt Ryan are like this weird gray area that I just I always have a hard time making the case a strong case at least to put them in there. Yeah, I think Matt Ryan and Philip Rivers have the same argument argument, and they're about the same uh, in terms of this Hall of Fame monitor. And both are much stronger than Cam. Both are far ahead. They are similar on on just this one metric by Pro Football Reference that tries to even the playing field. Rivers and Ryan are similar to Dan Fouts, Ben Roethlisberger, um, you know Ken Stabler, Warren Moon. Like so, they're quite a bit ahead of Cam Newton. I think it it would be one of those cases where for a little while he was the most exciting player to watch in the entire NFL and was a home run first overall draft pick, proved a lot of people wrong who criticized his character and whether he could handle being the face of an organization, but not somebody who's quite there to be in the Hall of Fame. So we'll see if he gets another job. And I think, like you said, if he does um, take that step forward with somebody else and gets back to what he used to be, I think that the odds are low, but if he did, then we might consider him a Hall of Famer. Let's take a break. I've got some hot routes, and also we have to get into a report about Anthony Harris and the price that the Vikings are looking for. That's when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. 
A quick thank you to DennisKirk.com for supporting Score North and Purple Daily. It's obviously crazy times right now, but one thing you still can do is get out and ride. And the weather seems to be telling us it's time to get you and your motorcycle ready for this year's riding season. DennisKirk.com is a Minnesota-based worldwide retailer of parts, accessories, and apparel for avid bikers of all kinds. Whether you ride a Harley, Cruiser, Sport Bike, Dirt Bike, or any of the other type of motorcycle, they have what you need. Over 160,000 products in stock and ready to ship today. DennisKirk.com not only offers a huge in-stock selection, but also guaranteed best prices, fast same-day shipping, and a satisfaction guarantee. They truly are the best in the business. Order by 8 p.m. and get it tomorrow. $89 orders ship free and they return and they pay return shipping on helmets and apparel products. DennisKirk.com. Order today and get it tomorrow. Jonathan here with the Score North download. During the coronavirus outbreak, the need remains high for our local Ronald McDonald House as they work tirelessly to provide food, shelter, and a wide array of support services to families with seriously ill or injured children at their Twin Cities locations. Your contribution of any amount enables the Ronald McDonald House to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with a child's health crisis. Those services include overnight accommodations, complimentary meals, fully stocked pantries, laundry, and more. Thanks to Luis Arise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Luis Arise Minnesota Twins jersey to donate. Please visit scorenorth.com keyword donate. Also over at scorenorth.com right now, Judd Zolged has an article about Taylor Rogers and how he's facing and dealing with the delayed start to the Major League Baseball season. Also, Judd has his thoughts on Daniel Aturo planning to enter the NBA draft. Matthew Collar also has an article about how the Vikings' strength of schedule changed in free agency, including the Vikings now having to face Tom Brady in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's all for free over at scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. And later on in the show, we'll have uh, Seth Wickersham will come on to talk about his huge piece on the breakup of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, which is fascinating at ESPN.com. So that's coming up in about an hour. We have some hot routes to get to, but a couple yes, of uh, a couple of notes here, though. Seattle signed Philip Dorsett, so there is a potential cheap receiver option off the table for the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, yesterday, Mary Kay Cabot, who writes for the Cleveland plain dealer covering the Browns. She wrote about Anthony Harris. I'll just read this. The Browns explored a trade last week for Vikings franchise safety Anthony Harris, but is not in the cards at this point. They made it clear when they signed Carl Joseph and Anderson Dale to one-year deals. According to a source telling Cleveland.com, the Vikings would want at least a third-round pick for Harris, probably a second He's also likely to want double-digit millions on an extension. Both things are too rich for the Browns right now. And, Courtney, I get the sense that's the reason that Anthony Harris is still on the Minnesota Vikings is that not only is it hard to trade a player when everyone knows you have to trade a player, uh, as uh, Washington is probably finding out with Trent Williams, to get what you want for them, but also when it has to go along with a big contract extension. I think that for different reasons, those two players are in the same situation where their teams are having a lot of trouble trading them. Yeah, and to my understanding, because the Browns, uh, when all of that started unfolding last week, that came after the New York Giants had really expressed interest. I remember hearing late Sunday going into the week of free agency. So what day would that have been? Like the 15th or whatever? Yeah. Um, I was 
kind of just wrapping up my night and I was trying to figure out, okay, well, what do I need to be on alert for tomorrow morning? Um, and I got a correspondence just asking about, well, what do you think about Anthony Harris? You know, what, what kind of player is he? Blah, blah, blah. And so then I started following up on it and it sounded like the Giants were really, really high on him. And then he gets tagged Monday morning. And it's radio silence, and I checked in on it a couple of days later. I'm like, well, what happened? Um, and it seems like they, the Giants might have gotten a little scared off um, when you know he was a top target for them. And then they get shocked and kind of disappointed when he got franchised because they knew that it would be such a costly option to get him via tag and trade because of what the compensation would be. So it sounds like the Minnesota Vikings, um, that message of what Mary Kay was reporting uh, to, to have to say like that allegedly they wanted uh, you know a third round pick potentially for him. Did she also say a second? Uh, yeah. So, I yep. mean that's hot, that's draft capital that I don't think a lot of teams are willing to give up for a 29-year-old safety and ink him to a long-term deal that's going to be paying him in the range of, you know, what the top safeties in the NFL make. Totally So agree. I think that that's yep. why at this point, here's how I see it. Um, in, in talking to people about how this whole thing unfolded last week, it kind of feels like, you know, they were, they maybe got a little too excited that, you know, Harrison is representation in seeing, okay, well, we're going to get all these offers and, you know, one team wants them and then another team wants them. But then they also see like what Minnesota is going to want in exchange for that. And then they started pulling out. So, I mean, you know, they could certainly rescind the tag. Like, we're weirder Boy, things. What a bad weird, look that weirder, would be. Yeah, weirder things yeah. have happened. I'm just saying, like, that is a possibility because. Honestly, it kind of feels like to me at this point that the Vikings are the ones pulling out yeah. and not the other way around. Th- this sounds like overplaying your hand, thinking you could get more for him than you're actually going to be able to get. And now if they have to trade Anthony Harris, which still seems like a thing you have to do, you're talking about taking a pretty big hit on that or or not getting anywhere near what you thought so then you lose the compensatory pick which probably would have been a third rounder but you might have to just take a fifth rounder back because everyone knows you're not in a position of strength also some uh, slight breaking news here that if you thought the vikings were going to get robbie anderson they're not he's going to the carolina panthers to play with teddy bridgewater can i ask a question about that yeah why did everybody, th- or why did the Twitterverse or anybody who actually was bringing that up, why did people think that they were going to get Robbie Anderson? I- I'm kind of confused by that. Well, his deal is not crazy. It's no, uh, I mean it's two years twenty, right? Yeah, two like, years but, twenty million from Schefter. But even still, like the veteran free agent market's not very good. Yeah, you could get a cheap option even in like the third wave of free agency. But to, to I mean, Robbie Anderson essentially in this market was at the top of the market. I, I don't know why everybody thought, or at least like the discourse that we had heard the last like week or so, like, oh, are they going to get, are they in for Robbie Anderson? Uh, no. Like, that, that just seemed like really weird to me that that was popping out of nowhere, it felt like. Well, I mean, if you were going to move on from Anthony Harris and create yourself $25 million in cap space or somewhere in that ballpark, then spending 10 on Robbie Anderson still would be a lot, and maybe you have a lower cap hit the first year. I don't think it's crazy to think about Robbie Anderson. I mean, we're not talking about A.J. Green or somebody who was going to command sure. a ton of money, but it really shows you that even players who are just good not great at this point are too rich for your blood as the Minnesota Vikings and how hard that is to fill out their roster. Now, I wonder about and and I do want to get to hot routes here, but I just wonder about where they stand in the league and in the rest of the market because 
Free agents have not signed here yet. They seem to have been chasing a bunch of them who have decided to go in other places. And I wonder if other players look at the Vikings situation very differently than Sheldon Richardson would have two years ago when he you know, came storming in saying, all right, let's play on this defensive line. Let's play with all these superstars on a team that can win the Super Bowl. But if you're around the league and you see Stephon Diggs trade, and we know how much he's respected around the league, I wonder if you say, yeah, same money, I'm probably going to go somewhere else than that team right now. I don't know if it's anything like that they can certainly control at this point. They couldn't control their finances, um, or I guess you could say that they could. I'm not, you know, absolving them of responsibility, but we knew that guys were going to have to walk here in free agency and that the dynamic of this team was going to change. The makeup of this team was going to change. I don't think any free agent that really knew how this whole thing was going to play out was looking at this and saying that they're super surprised. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you know, I Michael Pierce got a nice deal to come here. Like we talked about all last week, a player who is essentially very much, except younger and, and less wear and tear, but very much Linville Joseph and played about, what, 50, 55% of snaps last year? Like, you didn't get a humongous upgrade at that position. So Mm -hmm. I think that the way that they have to approach free agency and the way that they are approaching free agency is by just trying to mitigate losses, even if that means you're not making a huge upgrade at the position. And, you know, there still are a handful of marquee free agents out there, but a lot of them just don't feel realistic. I've had several people ask me, you know, why haven't they signed Jadavian Clowney yet? Uh, have you asked, have you heard what Jadavian Clowney is asking for? Yeah. Like, like you got to know better than that because the team just can't afford him, nor should they try to be giving him what absurd figure he wants on an average year basis. But Trent Williams is such an interesting uh, you know, situation out there that I think that they are certainly a team to watch um, as this thing unfolds further. Because if Washington gets to the point where they just cut him, whew, that is a stupid move. Because at least try to get a fourth round pick for him. But you know, it's um, it's a weird situation that it's been so quiet. Because I think that they've been in, from my understanding, they've been in on certain guys. It just has not panned out because. Their financial, they just cannot give guys the financial commitment they're looking for as free agents. Yeah, for sure. All right, we'll get to hot routes in a second. Uh, what do we? What do you got? You just emailed just me, email. Jonathan. The words Wade Phillips. Just check your emails for okay. something for a future show. Okay, Wade Phillips unblocked me. Did I oh, tell did? you this? Yeah. When did that happen? Wade Phillips unblocked me on Twitter. So, oh, okay. So we could possibly get Wade Phillips yeah. at some point. Uh, I'm going to email back, or why don't you right away yeah. that yes, we absolutely want Wade Phillips. And I want to, I want to ask him what happened there. Why did you block me? And why did you decide to unblock me on Twitter? That's weird. It Wait, was, what, it was did you weird. say something offensive? Okay, no, but I did include him in a tweet once. So I was watching an old NFL Films recap, as I want to do, and I screen grabbed Wade Phillips in this amazing jacket jogging in slow motion because that was it was a recap of the 94 Broncos or something. So I tagged him in it and like coming to save your defense or whatever. And then Wade Phillips favorited it and then blocked me. And I think that he just saw a bunch of notifications and didn't want them. And he doesn't then, know how to mute. He does not to mute it. Yes. And then I tweeted someone else to tell Wade Phillips to unblock me. And apparently he did. So yes, I definitely want Wade Phillips on the show. A hundred percent. He'd be awesome. All right. Uh, Jonathan, why don't we ramp up uh, some hot routes here to celebrate. 
caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Street! Red, red, red! Red falling! Blue poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 dragon smoke. It's Hot Rods on Purple Daily. 5 Okay, all right. Uh, We take things in the news and we turn them to our own questions. And let's start right out here with the Los Angeles Rams now topping what? Who has the worst logo in the league? I don't know, but this is worse. They now have the worst logo in the National Football League. They released it yesterday, and it looks... I compared it to Sonic the Hedgehog. Some other people (laughs) said the president's hair looks like it's on the L.A. Some people said, why are the Rams celebrating the Chargers? Because it looks like a C. I don't know. It's not good. So I want you guys to tell me, to start off our hot routes, the best logos in the National Football League. Give me your top three. Okay. Uh, Mine are kind of a theme here, if you can can gather. I like the... Tampa Bay Buccaneers is my number one. I think it is awesome. I love the pirate. I love the the football in the middle of the two swords and the skull. I love the Raiders logo. I think that is so classic. Um, And then... I will probably go with the New England Patriots because that football guy, the guy who probably it's probably Paul Revere, actually. That's yeah, that probably guy, who yeah. that ear that guy That's definitely That's exactly what Paul Revere looked like. Oh, 100%. That guy was on a horse <laughs> riding through accurate. Boston yeah. telling people the British were his coming and he was throwing football footballs career. at people. His, yeah. His lesser known career as a long snapper was just <laughs> Yep. The, so those are old, my three. Yeah, the old Patriots logo is a great selection. Jonathan, yours? Uh, I'm going to go with three classic logos. I just really like the Steelers. I think that's just one of the classiest and class most classic uh, logos in the league right now. Like Courtney, I love the Raiders logo mainly because I just like the Raiders as well. But just the pirate with the two swords around it. The Raiders looks awesome, and then the 49ers. All three are just really classic yeah. looking logos that bring that just. Ooh's kind of just the history of the NFL. No disagreement for me on the Raiders. Uh, they are. Is, I is think, it the best one. logo in yeah. the NFL? I think it has to be. It's right? got to be a top three yeah. logo in all of sports. The the, okay. the Raiders with the the pirate. I mean, it's just perfect. Uh, did not know that you were into pirates, Courtney. But you know, you picking Tampa Bay, sort of. Yeah, it's it, cool did, it did have a theme to it. And they have a pirate ship, too, which I, I've never been in the pirate ship at Raymond James Stadium, mm. but well, we'll I look chance. forward to going this yeah. year. I actually uh, may watch the game from there. If we're allowed to use old logos, I will use the old Philadelphia Eagles logo, Ooh, the yes. flying eagle. And I will go Pittsburgh Steelers along with the classics, um, just the the fact that it has a shout out to the you know steel community there um i i love those but i i think there's a lot of good cases new orleans has an all-time great logo as well san francisco's a good pick and i've always liked the arizona cardinal it's like this okay. m- mean looking cardinal that's better a- than the st louis cardinals he's about to peck a hole in your deck or something <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, the Patriots released Steven Goskowski. A tougher breakup between Goskowski and the Patriots than Brady. Um, I want you guys to answer these three questions with only a kicker name. Okay? If I got in a fight, I'd love to have blank beside me. Uh, if I had one kick from 50 yards to win the Super Bowl, I would take blank, and I want to hang out with blank. Courtney, why it. don't you go ahead? If I had to get in a fight... I'd love to have Janikowski beside the me. The obvious pick. Yes. Very obvious. <laughs> <laughs> 
If I had one kick from 50 yards to win the Super Bowl, I'd take Tucker. Okay. And right. what was the third one? Hang out with. I kind of want to hang out with Janikowski, but I also know um, that he's had no. some issues early yep. on in his career. No, no, but I'm going to stay away from bars in Walnut Creek, California. Yeah, you definitely don't want to hang out with Janikowski. Yes, I do. He's awesome. It, it's funny how he's the best and worst answer to these questions. <laughs> I think it works, though. I don't want to hang out with Matt Prater. You want me to be bored? <laughs> I, Matt Prater might be cool. You don't know. No. <laughs> uh, my, my first... My first and third one were also Janikowski. <laughs> if he other other uh, option there was the kicker from the replacements, a fictional a fictional yeah. kicker. Yeah, but the soccer guy. player, of yes. course, Jonathan. <laughs> uh, for the second one, if I had one kick from fifty yards to win the Super Bowl, I'd take in his prime Adam Vinatieri. Okay, I'm going to go historical here. If I got in a fight, I'd love to have Matt Barr alongside of me. Matt Barr is the best tackling kicker of all time. Watch the opening kickoff of the 1991 Super Bowl, Bills and Giants. If he doesn't make a tackle in that Super Bowl, the Giants don't win it. The guy returns it for a touchdown, and then everything plays out differently. Very tough kicker, Matt Barr, who actually got a concussion making a tackle in the championship game that same year. So, Giants, get your special teams together. But Matt Barr was one tough kicker. Uh, Kick from 50 yards is Adam Vinatieri. Just any kick all time, I'll take Adam Vinatieri. And I actually want to hang out with Justin Tucker. Did you guys know that Justin Tucker is a like opera-trained singer? No, but I think that's I heard amazing. that somewhere. That is a real that is a real thing. So crazy. I would love to uh, perform some music with Justin Tucker, opera trained singer. Look it up on NFL Films. They did a piece on it. Next question for you guys: The Falcons' whole offense at the moment is made up of former first round picks. So I hope you guys did your homework here. I assigned Courtney the fourth round. Jonathan, you get the third, and I have the fifth round for making all time teams. Now only. Quarterback, running back, a couple of wide receivers. But I, I want to know you guys all time by round. Did you guys Which, not do yeah. your homework? No, I didn't. I okay. Didn't. I'm ready. All right. Well, why don't you Jonathan start? Jonathan can go first. All right. So for the third round, I think you guys are going to have a tough time beating this team just based off of who I have right now. Quarterback, I could have gone a lot of options here. I could have gone Russell Wilson, could have gone Dan Fouts, could have gone Frank Reich, could have gone Matthew Collar's Frank favorite Reich. guy, Josh McCown. Could best. have gone Fran Tarkenton, but none of those guys compare to the all-time best quarterback. One of them, Joe Montana, drafted third round, third round, yeah, seventy-nine by the 49ers. Uh, for my running back, one of the best running backs to ever play the game, Curtis Martin, ninety-five Patriots drafted in the third round, and then my wide receivers, Terrell Owens and Steve Smith. Okay, that is a that's a better team than the Falcons. If you're giving me a slot wide receiver, he's going to be Jake Reed. Okay, okay. that fine. is that is a good roster. Fine. Courtney, who do you have for fourth rounders? <laughs> I mean, I'll take Dak as my quarterback for fourth rounders. Well, I get, okay. That's fine. I think that that's absolutely fair. I mean, he's had a get, think about his rookie year. Think about the seasons that he's had since then. Think about his trajectory. I like that. Um, I'll take Darren Sproles. He was a fourth rounder. I'll take him as my running back. Uh, what do I need? Two wide receivers? Yep. Um, Brandon Marshall. He was a wide receiver, I think, in the fourth round. Definitely in the fourth round. Um, what other fourth round wide receiver could I go with? Um, you know who's a fourth rounder? Because I'm just going to go ahead and pick one fourth round receiver. I'm going to go with a kicker. I'm going with Stephen Goskowski, who was a fourth <laughs> round kicker, 118th overall in 2006 of the Patriots. 
I am really struggling here to find a fifth-round quarterback. <laughs> I have been scrolling. Oh, I've got one. Mark Brunel, fifth-round oh, quarterback. So I will start with Mark Brunel. And, oh, my gosh, the quarterback names are amazing. Do you guys remember Omar Jacobs? He was a fifth-round quarterback. People are like, yeah, you never know. Could turn out to be pretty good. Um, no, he didn't. Fifth round was tougher. So, obviously, Stephon Diggs would be one of my wide receivers. And Again, with running backs, I'm still hunting, and this sort of tells you about how difficult it is. Uh, I mean, you trade a fifth-round pick for a kicker-slash-punter every day of the week. That's my point. I'll go, I guess, Jordan Howard is a fifth-round running back, and I'll just need one more wide receiver, which uh, I'll just make you guys sit and wait as I continue to scroll through trying to find <laughs> fifth-round receivers. This is a lot harder with the fifth round. I gave myself the toughest. I gave Jonathan the easiest because he complains a lot about how we make things hard on him. P.K. Sam. You guys remember P.K. Sam? No. no. Anybody who played ESPN 2K5 would remember P.K. Sam. He was a, a free agent and had the best hands on the game. I don't know. I can't find another fifth-round receiver. Diggs is special. Don't trade him. Oh, too late for that. All right, I'm just going to move on. I literally cannot find another fifth-round receiver. I found you one, but I do not remember who this guy was on the 0-2 Arizona Cardinals, a fifth-rounder from Alabama, Jason McAdley. Do you remember him? I don't know. No recollection. No recollection. I went to the Hall of Fame's website, and you can search it by when they were drafted. Oh, there's only that's seven a good guys. Resource that you didn't share with us. There's only seven guys drafted in the NFL from the fifth round all time that made the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm going year by year <laughs> wide receivers in the fifth round. Do not draft a fifth round wide receiver. Analytics but, prove as Terry Mickens did he play? I don't know. I'm just I'm just done. I'm just moving on. There are no fifth round receivers except Stephon Diggs. I'm honestly looking at my fourth round group right now, and there's some pretty good ones in here. Not that you asked us to do any defensive uh, players, but Elvis Dumerville was a fourth round oh, pick. Yeah. Geno Atkins was a fourth round pick. Jari Evans was a fourth round pick. These are some pretty good ones. All right, uh, let's get in one more question here. Jared Allen was a fourth-round pick. Why couldn't you just have me do the all-defense That's team? That's where the cutoff kind of is, though, with great players. If you're fifth, sixth, seventh, I mean, good luck. Usually you're not, you're not going to make it. Uh, Mike Evans said it's surreal to be teammates with Tom Brady. If the Bucks are bad, it's going to be obviously a huge disappointment. I want you guys to give me your favorite off-season hype thing that went bust when the real game started. Oh, I'm laughing about this because I know who you're picking. I, I think you and I, are I know the who only you're picking. Ones. Wait, let me guess. Did he play for Notre Dame? No. No. Okay, then that's going to be mine. Go ahead. Um, remember the Kendall Wright era? Okay, you and I are thinking in the same vein. <laughs> I remember two years ago we all wrote how great of a slot receiver <laughs> he was before he even <laughs> went to training camp, and we were all like, "Yes, they finally yes. did it." Diggs, Thielen, Kendall Wright, goodbye Laquan Dreadwell. <laughs> the guy got cut. He didn't even make the the opening day roster, and that was um, that was one of my first uh, experiences where I was like, man, don't believe the hype. Well, I'm going to go with Michael Floyd. Same same huh. type of reason. Michael Floyd, uh, he's going to be their pure deep threat. Okay, I found a fifth round receiver. I had to scroll all the way back to 1990 for Tony Martin, who finished his career with 593 catches, 9,000 yards receiving. Good job, Tony Martin. I'll take him every day of the week. Uh, anyway, so yes, Michael Floyd living in Kyle Rudolph's basement, Kombucha Gate, like all those things. After hyping up the signings, this is great for them. This is the number three receiver they need. <laughs> oh, off That season. was, I mean... 
off I should, season. I, should, I mean, yeah, that off season movies. That was before I got here. But you remember how hard I leaned into that. When oh I yeah, got yeah, here. yeah. That was like your best piece ever. It was just like this massive breakdown. Three thousand words. Michael feature. Floyd returns to the Chicago land area. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you know those things happen. Uh, I would say another one from earlier in my lifetime was uh, Drew Bledsoe going to the Bills. They were so excited. <laughs> they just <laughs> like this is it. This is the best quarterback we've had since Kelly. The roster is ready. We're gonna do it. And uh, I don't believe they ever made the playoffs with Drew Bledsoe. They did not. So, Jonathan, what's yours? Uh, mine would be Vince Young's 2011 Eagles dream team. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. Him and Michael Vick the as the quarterbacks. Yes. Jeremy Macklin, Deshaun Jackson. You had Brent Selleck. Their defense was stacked with Trent Cole, <laughs> Jason Babin, Namdi Asamoa, Asante Samuel, Dominic Rogers, Cromartie. What did they go? What was the uh, eight and eight? Oh, but they only finished eight and eight because they won the last four games of the season. That's amazing. Off season hype. Don't buy it. <laughs> Don't call yourself a dream team before you step on the field. Um. Courtney, I'm not with you in the same room or even the same state at the moment. Um, is there a draft scout where you're at? I mean, I am the draft scout. Okay. Could you call upon the powers of Courtney, our draft scout, for next segment? Oh, I mean, she's already here. She's oh. sitting next to me. Okay. All right. Well, put her on because Mel Kuyper has his latest mock, and we are going to break it down with Courtney, our draft scout. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Score North and many of our local advertising partners remain open for business, and you can hear from them daily right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. We are all in this together. Hear how you can support our local community community by visiting scorenorth.com, keyword open. Hey, Score North listeners, it's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need when you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever, like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover, if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance it's their business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Who has the quickest twitch? Whose hips are the most oily? Who has the quickest long snap? Hand sizes, wingspans. Oh, no one knows hand sizes and wingspans better than Courtney R. Draft Scout. It is indeed that time. It has been a little while because we've been so focused on free agency, but Courtney R. Draft Scout, Courtney Cronin has taken a break, and for this segment it will be purely Courtney R. Draft Scout. Courtney, Ms. Draft Scout, I should say. Yes. Are you prepared for this? I am, and I think that the pro football prospectus from 2008 that's currently (laughs) sitting to my right that I actually read all 900 pages of this thing this morning in preparation for this, um, I feel good about this. You know, coronavirus can take away my sanity. It can take away my social life. It can take away the normalcy that I have on an everyday basis. But you know what it cannot take away? Cannot take away my draft scouting. That's right. Let's no, go. I can't. You're totally right about that. And people digging up old, awesome football memorabilia. Feel free to tweet at us with it because it's my favorite. It's awesome. 
Well, I, I had to, so just like to recap, so I came back to Illinois. We're under shelter in place here. Um, and I came back because that's where my family is, and it's time for me to be the adult and pull my weight a little bit. Um, but I knew that I would be here indefinitely, which is why I'm doing the show from here. And I also had to set up in the little office slash computer room um, a setup for video shoots. I had to do one yesterday for free agency. I have another one coming up uh, in the coming weeks. I know I'm like Skyping a few college classes that are doing online remote stuff. And I was just like, well, I shouldn't be doing it from my bedroom where there's like a Dave Matthews band poster right over my bed. (laughs) So I'm like, well, let's do something in the basement. And I have a little bookshelf. I'm looking at it to my left right now. And it's actually turned out really nice. Like I found some awesome sports memorabilia. My grandfather's like literal leather helmet. Like how these guys wore this stuff. Because my grandfather uh, went on scholarship to DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana and played football there. Um, And, I just, you know, I'm looking at that. There's so much good sports junk in this basement. Madden 96 is over there. I don't even have Sega anymore, but if if someone does and would let me buy it off them, I have time, so please DM me. I Um, have it for Super, and it's a great game. Madden Madden 96 is fantastic. I'm excited to get to, uh, you know, play with all of my random sports junk and, you know, Pro Football Prospectus from 08. I found this this morning. I tweeted what's the, about it. What's the funniest thing that you found in that? Well, the like cover, the most old the, takes exposed or whatever. The cover itself, because um, I tweeted a picture of it. Tavares Jackson stands between the Vikings and the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think it was his well, all of his fault. I mean, sort of right, but uh, yeah. ironically speaking, I mean, because getting rid of him and getting Brett Favre almost yep. took them to the Super Bowl. They didn't know that then. AJ Hawk, no Favre, no problem. That's on the yeah. front of my um, AJ Hawk on my uh, on the thing. I wish I could open it up and remember where I looked at something about Tom Brady where it was talking about what his ceiling was <laughs> in 2008. And uh, it, this thing is just a gem. And I tweeted about this and Bill Barnwell, because I called it sports junk because, you know, it's just random stuff yeah. that hasn't been thrown away. Um, and he's like, well, I wrote that sports junk, <laughs> <laughs> which made me laugh because... Uh, you know, why do I still have this? I found a draft guide from 2010. It was oh. before, like, the internet existed. Allegedly. Do you have it? Do you have it sitting right there? No, I actually threw it away. Oh, my but, gosh, um, what? Sam Bradford, though, was the first one that I pulled up. That was the, I opened it up. I was like, man, I'm not going to say whose draft guide it was because I don't want to insult anybody. But I pulled it up. I'm like, wow, this is detailed. I could absolutely get this on Google right now. Um, but it was, I mean, they had a pretty good uh, breakdown. It was like 120 pages. I am really disappointed that you got rid of a draft guide from 2010. That would have been hilarious to look through. I think the pro football prospectus from 2008 is, uh, this is enough reading for me for the next like six <laughs> months. We will but- get your, your every other day reports on uh, what happened in 2008 or what they thought was going to happen in 2008. But let's get into what's going to happen in 2020. Why does 2008 suddenly feel really, really long ago? Every um, every every time I talk about it, I'm like, oh, that was four years ago. <laughs> no, Courtney, it's not 2012. <laughs> Even when I'm playing my old video games, I've been playing Madden 64, which is from the 97 season, and I'm just, you know, playing along. Like, oh, yeah, man, Chris Carter was amazing. Like, how old is Chris Carter now? Oh, 52 or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. How old am I again? Uh, that always happens when 
players' kids end up in the NFL draft, players that you watch growing yeah. up. Like, oh, I will good. say that one thing that kind of disappointed me throughout this whole sports junk process. Um, we have a rack down here that had like CD-ROMs. Do you guys, does anybody remember what those were? Oh, for, yeah, yeah. For putting C- in your computer. computer. Where you had computer games? Yes, so Triple Play Baseball. Oh, I had Sammy that one. Sosa yeah. on the cover of mm-hmm. it. I tried to put it in my MacBook earlier and like the little <laughs> slot, and it, it didn't work. And it melted, and now you owe ESPN a computer? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> really disappointed about that. I honestly don't know what to do with those. Do I donate them? Do I... I mean, really, at the world goodwill, like kids who have computers from 1998. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to get rid of it because it's also like, what is this stuff? Why is it still here? Hospitals are like, we need more gowns. We need more masks. You're like, I have triple play baseball 1998. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. Oh. You're not helping. All right, Courtney, our draft scout, play the intro again. We need to reset this. Who has the quickest twitch? Whose hips are the most oily? Who has the quickest long snap? Hand sizes, wingspans. Oh, no one knows hand sizes and wingspans better than Courtney R. Draft Scout. Mel Kuyper, his 3.0 mock draft. When Mel drops a mock, things get exciting. So I'm just going to start out at the top of this mock, Courtney, and we can discuss until, sure. let's go, I'm going to read names off until something strikes you as unique or interesting, okay? So he has the Cincinnati Bengals taking Joe Burrow number one, pretty much status quo there. Chase Young going to Washington, Jeff Akuda to Detroit, Isaiah Simmons to New York, Tua fifth overall to the Dolphins, which Tua tweeted a video of himself. Any of this interesting so far? I mean, I think that Jeff Okuda going that high is probably the only one that I'm like, whoa, he has him all the way up at three, because I think he certainly is a top five, a top ten pick. I, I Most times I've seen him within the you know four to seven range, but three is the highest I've seen him. And, and that, to me, shows you just the the run on cornerbacks that's going to happen is going to happen far later in the first round. I think it's going to go some somewhere top five. You'll see a coup to go, and then there will be maybe like one or two from like 14 to 17. Mm-hmm. And then the bottom of the draft, bottom of that first round, is going to be heavy with quarterbacks. Now, Mel does not include trades because no, when a mock... confusing. And I'll just say this. When a mock has a bunch of trades, you're right. I just get like, wait, who? When are they drafting? What? How are they doing that? So Tua going fifth to the Dolphins... It does seem reasonable for Washington to consider taking Tua and have him compete with Dwayne Haskins. I don't see why not, considering the importance of the position. So if you're the Dolphins, I think you are calling up Washington and saying, let's make sure we get this done and nobody else gets Tua except for us. Because if he's ahead of his recovery, he was a number two overall draft pick this entire time. The only question was just about his medicals, Mm -hmm. but everything seemed to check out at the Combine, and now he's back doing football things. I I think Miami should have their eyes on trading up to number two to get him. Yeah, and I I feel like he ends up there either way, because the buzz coming out of the Combine, the buzz the last few weeks as the NFL world has kind of been, or at least the the pre-draft process has kind of been on hold, is still that... Miami has its eyes set on Tua, however it has to get them. So I agree with you. If they have to trade up to two, if they really are feeling like Washington is a threat, because who knows what's ha- what happens over the next few weeks. It's going to be interesting because they can't have these pre-draft visits, these top 30 visits where you know prospects, information that get, gets out about prospects and, and you know 
who they visited with, how the visits went, the whole thing. Now that those don't exist, will that information be as readily available for teams to know what their respective 31 other teams are going to do and kind of be able to tap into that mindset? That's going to make it really intriguing. Uh, Number six, Justin Herbert going to the Los Angeles Chargers. What do we think of Justin Herbert and Jordan Love's draft stock? Because before coronavirus took over our lives, I remember Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay screaming at each other. And yes, exactly. And making some sort of lucrative bet on which one of those two would go higher. If you're the Chargers, there is a good case for drafting a quarterback and sticking with Tyrod Taylor. And drafting a quarterback is always fun, so if you're talking about entertainment value going into a new stadium and such, then that makes a lot of sense. But I also can't figure out what the NFL really thinks of Herbert and Love, because they both have some pretty serious uh, issues that would kind of make you back off. And sometimes, this has happened in the past, Jimmy Clausen, the most notable that I can remember right off the top of my head, where it was, oh yeah, all of these quarterbacks are going in the top, this guy's going to be top two overall pick, and he ends up in the second round. Or even mm-hmm. Teddy, 32nd overall, Lamar, 32nd overall. I think the same thing is going to happen with either Justin Herbert or Jordan Love or both. So you think that there will only be how much how much would you be willing to hedge that only two were taken in the first round? Mm. That doesn't feel realistic to no, me. No, I think more than that will be taken, but I do question whether there are three or four taken in the top ten. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're more likely to see the wide receiver run start earlier, the cornerback run potentially, the the non-Jeff Akuda start earlier. I don't think that he's a top 10 quarterback. But, you know, given the way that things played out for the Chargers in free agency, this may be the direction that they're leaning, which is why I think that this was released today. Because we clearly know what the NFL world feels about everybody not named Tua or Joe Burrow, that they just don't really care to go all in on these quarterbacks, the rest of the crop. So, you know, if you can get a value pick in the second round, that's probably where some teams are going to go and try to either stick with who they have, stick with who they got in free agency, make a trade here or there, and try to build out that way. That's why you're not seeing as much of a quarterback hype train, rather, Mm -hmm. at this time of year. Yeah, I think if you're at the Chargers, that it's a better play to get Cam Newton and see if Cam Newton can be what he used to be than it is to draft Justin Herbert, because I just don't think Herbert's going to be very good. And I could be extremely wrong, but after watching tape with Sage about you know some of the weaknesses that he has, I don't think they translate to being a great NFL quarterback and... You know, I mean, you never know, because there have been lots of guys who you didn't think would be great who turned out to be really good. But I'm just not super sold on what he can be. I wouldn't be surprised if the Chargers are. So continuing down the list, Derek Brown to the Panthers at 7, I guess so. I mean, drafting a defensive tackle that high, the guy better be Warren be, freaking Sapp. Yeah, exactly. I, like, I could see someone doing it. I just don't get it if they do. I can understand a defensive end there, but the defensive end class is not as strong at least to make a case for Mm -hmm. any of those guys going in the top 10. Now, 15 and below, sure, but a defensive tackle at 7 when you were very much in the midst of a rebuild, like, you know, draft for the future. Get the best player possible at that point. So I'm going to go sort of yada, yada, yada style here with this. Um, Just naming some players that the Vikings might be interested in that are off the board in this case. Uh, Javon Kinlaw and Tristan Wirfs are taken after that at 8-9. Makai Becton at 10. And uh, uh, Jedrick Wills 
to the Jets. So he thinks that these offensive linemen are going to go high. Somebody that I've had in a few draft sims, C.J. Henderson, Mel Kuyper thinks is going really high, 12th at uh, the Raiders. So then he starts off with the receivers. Also, Andrew Thomas goes off the board. Henry Ruggs goes to the Broncos. So a lot of the players that we have had show up in draft sims is dropping. He's not seeing as realistic. Now, I have to stop at number 20 because he has Antoine Winfield Jr. as the 20th yep. overall pick. Wow, Mel Kuyper really high on Antoine Winfield Jr. Yeah, that was the one that really surprised me, like just looking at it you know, all across the board. I mean, the fact that... Winfield went at 20, and that there were five receivers chosen before the Vikings got to 22 was a little surprising to me. Oh, I had my mic off. Sorry. Yeah, definitely a surprise. I think he's more of a mid-second round pick um, because of the positional value. Safety sure. is great. But he is a guy who can play in the nickel spot, too. And I think we saw it from Tyron Matthew that if you can move around a lot, and not everyone is Tyron Matthew, but Winfield has the instincts and the athleticism that he proved at the Combine to be able to do that. So uh, that would be quite a win for uh, the Gophers program to have a guy drafted that high if that were to happen. So let's get to 22. Denzel Mims, the receiver from Baylor. And I will tell you the first tweet that I got after I retweeted your article breaking down the two picks from the Vikings uh, was these would be the worst picks they could make. And yeah, I, and I got a lot of the similar vibes about that. But I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that. So he's got Denzel Mims at 22 and then at 25, A.J. Epinesa from uh, or I'm sorry, Epenza. Epin, Epinesa, you're right. Epinesa, sorry. OK, from well, Iowa. let's hope let's hope that uh, he's not the pick. Um, Epinesa, right? So from Iowa, right. He's a beastly defensive end. So Denzel Mims, AJ Epinesa are the two guys that Mel Kuyper thinks the Vikings will take. Let's start with Denzel Mims. He was amazing at the Super Bowl. He ran a 4-3-8 and is considered to be a high intelligence type of guy. Great character and all that. I mean, at 22, I think if you're a Vikings fan, you have to be happy with that pick. You do. I think some people are questioning whether that's a reach, but then again, maybe you're not looking at the way that the rest of this draft played out. Like clearly the intel that Kuiper's getting is telling him at this point there might be a first round run on receivers and you know, by by the late twenties, uh the guys that you were expecting to be there in the second round probably aren't gonna be there. So for for Mims to jump up if from where he was at, I know weeks ago when you and I started draft scouting, um, he was a mid-second round pick. I yeah. think that yep. you know, in several of them, both you and I had him. Even when we were doing our mock draft at the combine, um, he was he was somewhere around that second round pick, maybe even early third. But I think he really helped himself with the combine. Obviously, he had the third fastest 40 time. This team needs speed at receiver. I mean, even if Diggs was still here, I always said that one of their top priorities this year, maybe not the top top, but they had to draft some speed at receiver. They totally. Needed to, they needed to be able to have that stretch the field option. And what I like about him, uh, he, he, I mean, he's obviously the build, the physicality, the size, the length, the ball control, the, bo- the body control, excuse me, um, and the way that he plays the ball. Like he, He's set up to be a really good outside receiver, but he does have some experience playing in the slot. Now, he didn't get to do a lot of it at Baylor, um, but that is a good thing to have because you're, if you're trying to replace Stephon Diggs, we know it's not going to be seamless. I know that everyone has pointed out all of their first-round busts from 
from Sidney Rice to Percy Harvin to Laquan Treadwell, Cordero Patterson, the whole thing. I get it. You are risking a lot by picking a receiver at the spot. But I think you have to. I think that you have to go with the highest ceiling player and the best possible receiver that's there. Uh, you know, And the fact that so many guys were taken ahead of them, they might not have had a chance to get one of the top receivers that they liked, even down at 25, which is why I think it's smart to go offense and then defense hit him back-to-back. And I think you also said it well that this is a draft that has three guys who are clear-cut first-round picks. And Mims is not in that range, but those guys are going to go high because everybody realizes how valuable great wide receiver play is in the NFL. So then you kind of have to reach, so to speak, to take the next best guy if he's there, because if you try to wait, then he's probably going off the board to somebody else. So, you know, I look at the guys who have been drafted in the first round, even over the last four years since Stephon Diggs came into the league. And yeah, it's pretty darn hard to replace a Stephon Diggs. That's why. The- and it will be, though. I mean, not to interrupt, but if you take a second round wide receiver, a third round wide receiver, it's not going to be. I know that it's an easier, I'm using that in air quotes, but it's an easier position to translate to the NFL from the college game, more so than cornerback, for example. Let's say the player playing opposite the wide receiver because a lot more of your play that you're doing at the college level can translate. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to find the guy, you know, that that we're going to be able to project out that Denzel Mims, if he is indeed this pick at 22, is going to be a 1,000-yard receiver in his first year. I mean, Diggs wasn't, you know, Diggs didn't explode onto the scene in 2015 and have this breakout season. I mean, it came over time, and he's really, really good, but that development aspect, too, is something that we can't just forget and say, oh, he was amazing by the second he stepped into the NFL. That just wasn't the case. I mean, he had the potential, and he had a very high ceiling early on, but it's going to be hard to replace him. Like, people just need to come to terms with that. It's not going to be seamless, but you have to start somewhere, and you have to move on and start thinking that way. Yep. You've got to take the best shot you can, and if your hope is that you're going to find somebody else in the fifth round who will become the next Diggs, uh, let's just rewind in the show where I tried to find successful fifth-round receivers <laughs> in the draft and had to get to Tony Martin. Yeah, uh, somebody else pointed out on Twitter that Tyree Kill was also a fifth-rounder, but only because of his hor- horrific um, background, and that's otherwise he would have been a first round pick considering yeah. his talent. And, and I don't know if anybody liked that in the draft, and or would I want that person taken anyway? So well, let's move on to 25th here, um, and we're going to have Seth Wickersham come on and talk about his great article about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and their breakup in about 10 minutes here. But uh, Epinesa is a monster defensive tackle who there is some concerns, or I'm sorry, defensive end, who there's some concerns about the athleticism. Um, But I think if you produce in college, you could produce in the NFL a lot of the time, and working with Andre Patterson, we see these guys succeed. My only question would be, do you have to draft a defensive end here when you've been able to develop them so effectively that the Panthers just paid Stephen Weatherly, Afadi Adenabo just had seven sacks, Both of your guys were not first-round draft picks. I don't know if you have to do this here. So I went back and I actually ground the tape yesterday. As I was writing this thing, I'm like, yeah, ground. Ground Ground it into a fine dust. Okay. Um, (laughs) This is one I actually, I really wanted to study and figure out, okay, how can you replace that same side of that same sort of power and explosion that you get from Everson Griffin um, that is no longer going to be there because he's not coming back, at least we don't think, in free agency. So 
the athleticism thing, and I know that he had a terrible combine and all of that, you know, that's all neither here nor there. I mean, he's got really, really strong hands, and he is a powerful pass rusher. He can, you know, win one-on-one matchups. He plays with power, and you see that. It's clear to anybody who's watching any sort of game film of this guy from Iowa over the last two seasons, he is an incredibly violent and powerful pass rusher. So that's the thing that jumped out to me immediately. I didn't have to watch more than five minutes to figure that out. Um, and, you know, I just, I wonder now, like you said, if they, you know, Everson Griffin was a fourth round pick for obvious reasons too, that he fell to the fourth round because of some, you know, red flag stuff. He probably would have been higher, but look at the development that he had over a 10 year career in Minnesota. Look at where Afadio Denebo is right now. Like, do you go with a rotation right now to figure out, you know, what we, what the team can do to replace all that you got? opposite Daniil Hunter at defensive end. You could, but I do think that this is a more of a position of need than people think. Um, to be able to find a defensive end that is as good as Epinesa. I mean, he's considered one of the best in the draft. He just had a really bad combine. But I don't think that should hurt him uh, as far as his NFL development. I mean, the athleticism was never the first thing about his game that you're looking at. It's the power. And, um, you know, I think it's a smart pick because it's very much a pick based on free agency and the way that things have played out. But beyond him, like I know that I'm already thinking probably too far ahead. What does that look like behind him and Daniil Hunter? I mean, what does your rotation of defensive ends look like? Because it looks like you just have Fadio Denebo and that's it. And that's, um, you know, I'm curious. Do they do they want to spend more draft capital? Because on the interior, I think they're going to be okay. I think that, you know, if you use... Um, Jaleel Johnson, the way you did last year, if you use even Odenabo the way that you did last year, you know, moving him all over the place, you're in a good spot. But, you know, at defensive end, what do you do uh, now that you have a completely different look on your, on your line? Who has the quickest twitch? Whose hips are the most oily? Three times in one show. Who has the quickest long epic. snap? It was an epic hand sizes, wingspans. Thank you. You, oh, you no this. one knows hand sizes and wingspans better than Courtney R. Draft Scout. Uh, just real quick, I just wanted to read a note here because that was a great breakdown. I would go with a corner here, personally. Um, that's yeah. That's I, one thing. I just to, just to note, like I know that people are pretty skittish on the fact that they went wide receiver and defensive end and didn't address the cornerback or safety need, or that's tackle, the, or tackle. But I mean, look at the tackles that were available at that spot. I mean, we saw the run on them in the top ten, and, and outside of that, I just think that that was a little um, tough. I would have gone cornerback in one of those spots. I really would have. But I can also understand the rationale to do it the way it was planned oh, out. Yeah, that, I think that would be the criticism I have. It's there. You almost can't miss if you pick a, a player <laughs> because the Vikings have so many needs. The only way you could screw this up is taking a running back. Uh, or <laughs> yes. I mean, even if you drafted a corner, a quarterback, it's not insane. Um, but... Uh, you know, defensive end is a need. I think when you're looking at positional value, corner is a place to go or tackle because they still don't have an answer there. So let's take a break. Seth Wick, uh, Wickersham is going to join us to talk about his article about the story behind the split of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. When we return, here you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're hunkering down, and we here at Score North are with you every step of the way through these unprecedented times. Got something to say, something to get off your chest? Leave us a mic drop message on the Score North mobile app. You may even hear it played back 
on your favorite Score North show here on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. Brady sets up the screen. James White, the 10, the 5, touchdown! All right, we're back here on Purple Daily, expecting to hear from Seth Wickersham of ESPN shortly. He wrote a really in-depth article behind Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's split and uh, kind of a lot of things behind the scenes there. Really impressive reporting, so we'll talk to him shortly here on the show. Um, Courtney, I did an article about how the Vikings' schedule is now harder, and it's fascinating that it's really more challenging for some teams and other teams not so much. For example, Tampa Bay goes from, oh, yeah, that's a game you win. You go down there, you pick off Jameis four times, and then you come back home to, uh uh-oh, now it's Tom Brady. (laughs) But then the Texans go from, Who's covering DeAndre Hopkins again to, oh yeah, not on the team, DeAndre Hopkins, because Bill O'Brien is a brilliant personnel man. Yeah, I mean, I think that free agency jumbled a lot of schedules, and, and it's nice to know that we don't have to actually project them unless you force me into it like you did last Thursday um, on the fly, but when you think about the fact that you're going to have to play Brady and you're going to have to go down to a Houston team that looks nothing like it did pre-free agency, um, at least as far as, you know, skill skill players and guys that are going to be resp- responsible for scoring points, um, it's interesting. I mean, I don't – I'm trying to remember, did I project them to beat – I don't think I projected them to no, beat No, but you did have them 10-6. and six. Would you walk that back no, a little bit? Well, yeah, I tried to mentally because I was trying to do the math, but it was hard. And I was trying to make them 9-7 and seven at that point because their outlook is pretty cloudy. I mean, the Vikings, that is, coming out of free agency, uh, just because nothing's happened yet to really give you the, the insight or the belief that, man, this is going to be a competitive team that still is in win-now mode. I mean, I read your article the other day. There are several other things that they could do realistically to keep like win now mode type moves but they just haven't been able to execute any of them and i know i'm getting a lot of questions about this with trent williams um like why haven't the vikings done anything yet like do you think something's coming i think the vikings and anybody any other team you can force your hand to make washington just cut him because at this point it feels like that's going to trend that way why would you end up trading away a pick if he's just going to get cut like a week later. Well, we will get to that shortly, but first we're going to bring in now from ESPN, your cohort, Courtney Cronin, Seth Wickersham, who wrote an incredible article, the story behind the split of Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots, ESPN senior writer, and apparently guitar player too. Seth, how are you? <laughs> That's awesome. I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing well. Everybody working from home, so I see the guitars in uh, in, your, yep. in your background there. Seth, yep. I... I wonder, the, the first thing I wanted to ask you is just to take us behind your reporting here. I mean, over years and years built up of this fascinating relationship with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. If you could kind of take us inside even the process of putting together all of this to, to make some sense and build the narrative uh, for us to understand how this relationship came apart at the end. Yeah, well, it's something that I have followed closely it's something i've reported on myself a couple times and um you know when he left i think there was a you know a a a desire to explain why and i I thought that there was just pieces everywhere and clues everywhere and so to a certain extent i just kind of put together stuff was out there and, and you know added it with some new reporting that i had but 
I think so much of this, look, there have been slights over the years that, that added up from, you know, Bill Belichick shipping Dion Branch to Seattle to the way they kind of left Deflategate in Tom's lap to deal with. But I do think the fall of 2017 is a pivotal moment. Um, not only because there was issues with Tom Brady and his trainer, Alex Guerrero, and the TV 12 method and the way that, um, you know, players were kind of caught in the middle. They didn't know whether they should go to, to Tom Brady's trainer or to the team trainers. And then finally, you know, Jim, Jimmy Garoppolo being there and the future at quarterback for the Patriots and what Bill wanted and what Robert Kraft wanted. But Tom Brady at that moment, you know, was doubled down on playing until his 40s. And he wanted a contract that reflected that. And I think he preferred it to happen with the Patriots, but if they didn't want to commit to him, he was okay leaving. Remember, he said publicly, they can do whatever they want. And he said when asked if the team appreciated him, he said, I plead the fifth. So he was ready to move on. He wanted a contract that would reflect a commitment to him for a couple of years. And at the end of the day, time and time again, the Patriots showed that they only saw him as a year-to-year quarterback. And that's why we're here. Obviously, your piece, Seth, kind of lays this whole thing out and piecing all of these separate incidences that are really one and the same but all conjoined uh, together. But as this was going on, since you were around the situation for so many years, did it seem inevitable that this was where we were going to end up at this point or at some point? Because now, in hindsight, you look like people like myself and Matthew, we can look back on this and be like, how did we miss this? How did we not see that this is probably where it was going to he- head? But when you were doing your reporting and when you were around the situation throughout this process, did it feel the same way? Yeah, and if I can just take a moment, I think it's a miracle that it lasted as long as it did. And here's why. This is a real study in extremes, and that's why it's hard to blame somebody in this. But on one hand, you have a quarterback who is sincere and driven to play until his mid-40s. I mean, his dad once told me he's going to be a modern-day George Blanda. And had has every intent of doing that. That doesn't happen all the time, especially a guy playing at a, at a pretty high level. And then you have Bill Belichick, on the other hand, who has been wildly successful, the most successful coach in modern NFL history, if not ever. And one of his pieces of genius is knowing exactly when to move on from a player. And so I think that if Bill had truth serum, he might have done this earlier. But, you know, Brady kept winning Super Bowls, and – you know, he justified his position. And so I not only think that it was inevitable, but I also think that it was amazing that it didn't happen earlier. Seth, uh, I know that you're short on time here, but I wonder what you think that uh, Tom Brady's drive is now, because he's always been so incredibly driven. And I remember somebody telling a great story about Brady being at someone's wedding and everyone was partying the night before, but he was up at five in the morning still doing drills on the beach, you know, and things like that. But now he goes to Tampa Bay with something to prove that he can win away from Belichick. What do you get the sense his mentality is going to the Bucks? Well, I think one thing has changed and one thing is not. I don't think his drive has changed. If anything, I think it's gotten worse as age has gone on. I mean, you know as you get older, you don't change. Like, your, your traits become more intense. And then I think on the other end, our colleague Jeff Darlington, who was all over this story, said something really interesting where he said Tom isn't necessarily looking to resume pad. He didn't do this just to prove Belichick wrong. I've known Tom for 20 years. We've had our ups and downs, but, I, you know, he's someone that I've written about a lot and spent a lot of time with at his house, at his private Super Bowl party, all kinds of places. 
And football has always been about self-actualization for him. You know, what can I do? What, how can I raise my ceiling any higher? And I think at the end of the day, he just wanted something different. He wanted a different coach. He wanted a different team. He wanted a different city. He wanted different teammates. And for the last chapter, he just wanted something, the rejuvenation that comes with doing something totally different. Now, the most important question will be the last one. Uh, is Brady going to force them to bring back the cream sickles or what? Because he can't play in those jerseys right there in Tampa Bay, Seth. Seriously, wouldn't that just be great? I mean, I'd love to see that. Yeah, that would be great. So what do you think the Patriots do at quarterback? Well, I think that they're probably going to go with Jared Steedham, who you know spent a year watching Tom Brady, and the Patriots like people who have a familiarity with their offense. It's one of the reasons why they you know like to bring in veterans at the skill positions. But, man, you talk about pressure on somebody. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, even when Trevor Simeon took over for Peyton Manning, I mean, Peyton was clearly at the end of his career. So Simeon wasn't under that much scrutiny. I mean, this poor kid is going to be analyzed on a level that I don't think we've ever seen. And that's a tough, tough situation to come into. Yeah, no, you're right. It'll be interesting to see if that is the direction that they go. Seth Wickersham, make it time for us here. Uh, great story, Seth. Uh, the story behind the split of Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, guys. Have yep. a great day. Yep, for sure. Seth Wickersham. So, uh, fascinating stuff there. Yeah, and excellent I, article. I, I really... <laughs> In a way, now, you can't have much more respect for Tom Brady than you already do. I mean, just championships everywhere and clutch drives and Super Bowls and everything else. But I kind of respect him more for going to Tampa Bay here and not just wrapping it up, even though this has gone badly for so many people. But a guy being so committed to winning, and I know that he said he didn't exactly want to prove Belichick wrong, but you can't tell me that's not part of it, uh, to show that he can win away from Belichick. Even if it completely blows up, I just appreciate what Tom Brady's trying to do here. The one takeaway, above all else, that I've had from the Brady situation of the last week, from reading Seth's article, is the human element in all of this. That For the one time in all of our lives, we have something in common with the greatest quarterback to ever (laughs) play the game. And it's that we want to be appreciated and valued in our jobs. We want to be considered assets that you just can't lose, somebody that you just can't do without. And I think Belichick, in a way was trying to show, at least through his his action show, that Tom was never going to be bigger than the game in his mind. And that's probably fair, um, because the Patriot way was, you know, rules all, and, and even Tom Brady is not immune to the way that things plan out, pay out in the uh, Patriot way. But I just feel like with... You know, in reading his article about the, you know, and then the blow up that happened in a meeting between them, and that he wanted a contract extension. They wanted to make him a year to year quarterback. He just wanted to be appreciated. He just wanted to be seen as somebody who was valued and that you would be able to, for all that he accomplished, get what you want. And, and I think so many of us run into that on a day to day basis. We want to be valued. We want to be given opportunity and we want to be seen as, you know, assets that you just cannot lose to a company. But, you know that was um, 
that's my biggest takeaway. That was the human element I saw in all of this, that at some point, too, you just have to see the writings on the wall and you just have to move on. Like, I, he didn't force this. Was, if he would have gone back, and I don't know what the contract would have been. I don't think any of those numbers ever leaked out from what the Patriots were potentially offering to him. But it just feels like he would have almost been doing the wrong thing for himself as a person because I don't think he's chasing another ring. Like I agree with what Seth was saying there. Sure, it's going to feel good to stick it to Belichick if he ever plays him, but I don't know if he's going to Tampa to win a Super Bowl. I don't know if that's the ultimate ultimate like, you know, that's the number one priority. I mean, sure, of course if it happens it's excellent. Um but I think he's doing it for happiness. And I think he's doing it to be able just to have something different because after twenty years with the same coach and the same stuff that you have to put up with every single day, everybody needs a change, whether you're Tom Brady or somebody else. I I couldn't help but think about Mike Zimmer with this because Zimmer is of the Belichick tree as well. And we've heard from players, former players, things like that, that Zimmer being hard on everyone all the time kind of has a shelf life. And that shelf life is extended tenfold by Bill Belichick because his quarterback won him Super Bowls. But if you don't win Super Bowls, I wonder if we've gotten to a spot in some ways with Mike Zimmer where this mentality of being hard on everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. It, it wears it, on people. Right. And if it, even after a long period of time with all the winning can make Tom Brady miserable. There's a great quote in here from Seth Wickersham about what Brady said to Al Michaels. He said, I'm the most miserable 8-0 quarterback in the league. And if that eventually can wear down Tom Brady in the most successful franchise, that a team that is less successful and a team that has a lot of strife and has gone through a lot of things over these years and now has to pick itself back up and rebuild it, that you wonder with Mike Zimmer if... I don't know if, if players want to come here and have that, if players want to stay for much longer. When they were really successful, guys wanted to come back and stay. But the minute they were less successful, we've seen a lot of players say, yeah, I'm not coming back. And, so, and that window is pretty short, too. I mean, yeah. we saw it in 2007, after the 2017 season that, you know, 18, there were guys taking team-friendly deals all across the board to stay. Yep. And even last year with Everson Griffin coming back. But I think that there's a very short window on that when it doesn't translate to a Super Bowl or to the ultimate pinnacle of success because, you know, that act can run thin on people. It can wear very thin on people over time. And if you're winning, it's great. But even as Tom Brady showed you, it doesn't fix. It, I mean, winning doesn't cure all in that sense. If you're dealing with that every day, it's aware. If it's not fun to come to work, it's not fun to come to work, regardless of what's happening. Yeah, and I think that that ha- has become the case at sometimes. Now we made fun of um, Rhett Ellison's dad quite a bit uh, on the show after he posted this big thing on Facebook. Ricky Ellison used to play in the NFL. He had this big thing about Zimmer after the 2016 season, and it all matched up with some issues in that 2016 season with Zimmer, where he saw the cornerbacks kind of go the other direction on him, go rogue or whatever you want to call it uh, at the end of the year. And just even going back to that, we saw some signs that when things get hairy, Zimmer is going to be harder on players. And I remember hearing from somebody that when Zimmer went off in 2016 about the offensive line being soft, that it really 
it really hurt him in the locker room with some of the players because that's one thing that you just don't say to an offensive line. Like, they're trying, but you don't call them soft, right? So, um, you know, you wonder over these last few years if there's been some of that same effect over the last two years specifically of things falling apart, firing John Filippo, and now we see uh, players not resigning here who are on very reasonable deals with other teams like Mackenzie Alexander and J. Ron Curse, and then Stefan and Andrew Sandejo. Right, and even Andrew Sandejo, who just keeps coming back here. Uh, but then, and Stefan Diggs, too. And I don't think that the Diggs-Zimmer relationship on a personal level was horrible, but you do have to wonder if it wears on people the same way that Belichick did with Tom Brady and ultimately turns them away. Yeah, um, like, that's... <laughs> feels like there's, you know, you don't want to go ahead and say that that's automatically it, because I'm sure there's other factors, too. Um, guys might not have been able to come back because they don't want to take team-friendly discounts. Maybe they've done it enough. Everson Griffin has done it enough. Um, I do think that this defense would have been the best fit for him, but it always comes to, down to dollar figures. So, you know, that being said, you, you this season is going to be very telling, just in the sense of... Does the act wear thin on players more than enough to break the locker room? Because we already know that this locker room is fragile. We don't. Can you point out who the clear-cut leader is of this locker room right now? Because I sure can't. Well, and even this team has had that. Uh, now they totally went against this in New Orleans, but there were so many times where we had that feeling about this team the last two years, where we went. Yeah, every time they get in trouble, they seem to make things worse on themselves and and rarely better. And it sort of seems like a, a type of team that we kind of didn't want to say was mentally weak exactly, but never seemed to have that leadership that could pull them through like they had at the quarterback position from Teddy Bridgewater and Case Keenum. And, of course, Cousins plays a role in this, but I think of it more from the head coaching position of just... This is the mentality that comes from Parcells being extremely hard on people. And then we see the Matt Patricia story of him ripping on Darius Slay and telling him that he thinks that you know all these other corners are better than his corner and things like that. And I also kind of look at who won the Super Bowl this year and Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. I don't know if he's how hard he is on players, but he's much more of a tactician. And Sean McVay goes to the Super Bowl the year before. He's a guy that's very upbeat and very positive in terms of how Mm -hmm. he's coaching. And you also have to wonder that, too, about not just is it the way that he coaches that there's a, a shelf life on it if you're this hard on players, but also if even what players need is sort of shifting. Or, yes, or, or maybe society, this, too. Yeah, or maybe this never worked and they always just overcame it. I don't know. I, I was listening to uh, Drew Bledsoe talk about playing for... Um, Bill Parcells and how much he didn't like it because he felt like everything he did was wrong all the time and he was just constantly being ripped on. And Zimmer has talked about how he coaches players in different ways and, uh, you know, sometimes you got to pull this guy aside. And But from things that I've heard from players who used to be on the Vikings, I don't know that that is always the case with him. Yeah, and I like the Bruce Arians stuff that I've heard. 
in in recent days. Obviously, now you're hearing a lot of players talk about why you want to play for Bruce Arians because he's the guy who will mf you and curse you out and you know drag you if you do something wrong. Um, but he'll also be the person who puts his arm around you at the end of the day and is a big lovable teddy bear, like the tough love shtick that we see with football tough guys and you know staying at the office 17 hours a day and grinding film and you know there's nothing more than football. I think that's changing. I really do. I think that, of course, these guys have, you know, put so much into their craft and it is their life, and they want to be able to sustain that. And I just don't think that the tough guy, tough love approach is something you can do and deal with 24-7. It absolutely has a time and a place. But if that's what you're going through, like the Belichick thing, smile for once. And I, and I know that, I, and look, this is coming from a woman who's saying that, who, you know, there are a lot of people who like tell women to smile and they freak out about it. It's never he, been a huge insult to me. I think it's just more annoying. But like Bill Belichick with the scowl and everything, you know, talking like this, mumbling, blah, 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 during a press conference, like, it's an act. It is an act. And people get tired of it after a while. Like... I don't care that you're the winningest coach. At the end of the day, you're going to lose your locker room and you're going to lose the people that help you become the winningest coach because they're just not going to put up with it anymore. And I, and we were talking about this on radio over the weekend. Like, who's going to have, um, I guess, more success? Not necessarily right away, but in the long run, now that the split has happened, who's going to fare better? I think it's going to be Tom Brady yeah, because I just don't think that Bill Belichick is going to be able to continue. He did it for 20 years with the same player. I don't know that you're going to be able to continue that on. You can continue the Patriot way all you want because if somebody, you know, he can bring big personalities into a team, um, and that's fine because he'll get rid of them the second that they start acting up, just as we saw a lot of times uh, throughout the last few years with the New England Patriots. But this doesn't seem like something that's entirely sustainable because – you know, and I don't mean to make it such a macro level, but look at our society. Look at all of the, you know, the efforts that are placed on mental health and realizing that, you know, your career's not worth dying over and killing yourself and things like that. Football's eventually going to have to catch the heck on. And I think that some teams, especially some of these younger coaches who were brought up in a different system where you realize you don't have to curse everybody out for something that's done wrong and you can also make mistakes and learn from them and not have it be the end of the world, I think that that's where the game's trending. Yeah, I also think that too, and, and part of it is because players are smarter than they ever were before. Sure, and so they have not, more access to information than right. they ever have before. Right. So when you're insulting somebody and their intelligence about the game, it, you know, usually they're pretty well versed in in what they do, and you have a lot of intelligent people in these locker rooms. And also, when Mike Zimmer, and this is what I think about with how everything is different than it was just a couple of years ago, when Zimmer has this mentality toward his players next year. It's going to be a lot of guys who haven't dealt with this before, not guys who came up through it. And also, I, I don't know how much he changed his approach to guys when they were rookies to go on and on and on through being grown men, having families, you know, getting second contracts. And you do wonder if he changes approach with the roster getting older and more mature from when it was once a young roster and and I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm really interested over these next few weeks to see who signs here. Because yeah. a bunch of stories have come out, oh, they were interested in this guy. Well, he signed somewhere else. They were interested in that guy. Well, he signed somewhere else. And I don't know that 
players usually look and say, oh, well, it's this coach, so I definitely can't do it. So I'm not saying it's uh, an indictment on Mike Zimmer necessarily, but when you have a coach that doesn't have a contract, who has alienated players in the past, who have left recently, and then even Kyle Rudolph seemed like he was on the edge of wanting to leave if he didn't get a new contract last year, and now Everson Griffin's not coming back, Diggs is unhappy, he gets traded, like all of a sudden... It doesn't look like that place that you would want to go in a Sheldon Richardson type of situation. I think if you're on the outside and you're a player looking at it, you might say, well, what is going on there? You know, I mean, if you're even if you're Robbie Anderson who went to play with his former coach, Matt Rule, you might say if they call up and offer you the same contract. I really don't know what you guys are exactly doing here. You've got, you know, offensive coordinators that have changed a bunch of times in the last few years. Your coach is on the last year of his contract. I'm not sure what I'm even getting from you, and that makes it a lot harder for me to want to go there. Well, it just doesn't look entirely stable. It looks like a, from a certain perspective, it looks like a card house. A house made of cards that could easily fall over if if one thing goes wrong. Um, and for guys who want to continue to play at a high level and sign multi-year contracts, A, the team has to have the money to do it, but also the security that they'd be getting to uproot their lives and come somewhere else. I mean... Coming free agency is the goal. That is the reward for players who have, are able to reach that, um, and because you know, and get the dollar figures like the premier free agents. But even the non-premier free agents, the league is made up of sixty percent of these minimum wage salary guys. Like they want to be in a place where they might not have that long of a career. So why not go someplace where you can actually enjoy it? Yeah. So, and I think that my big takeaway from the Seth Wickersham thing is that. Um, you know, things can change really quickly. That all of a sudden yes. you go from being the premier franchise to you don't have Tom Brady anymore and people are looking at Belichick going, what did you do? Um, you know, I, I think we're dealing with a little bit of that here. So, Courtney, you and I will get together on Thursday again. Yes. Can I really quickly read uh, one of the old takes exposed? It'll take two seconds. Go ahead. From- Minnesota Vikings, 2007, the Vikings finally decide to address their woeful passing game by drafting Adrian Peterson. 2008, this was the projection in this book that I'm reading. Peterson and Jared Allen could march them into the playoffs, dragging Tavares Jackson behind them. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yes. We need more. We need more excerpts from the 2008 uh, preview. All right, Courtney, we'll see you on Thursday. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.